Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Irving Church Online. Uh, I'm really excited to be uh, speaking to y'all um, online today. Uh, like Luke said, it's really hard to get used to this kind of thing, uh, preaching to no one or to a camera, or I think I might be preaching to Terry Keel back here. I don't really know who I'm talking to. Um, but it's it's kind of like, I feel like Dora the Explorer a little bit, you know, uh, trying to talk to no one, but expect some kind of response, like, open your Bible. Muy bien. So, uh, it's just weird, uh, and so track with me. Um, I'm going to do my best to just pretend everybody's here and um, give this word that I feel like God has given us for this morning. With that being said, uh, I was um, spending some time with the Lord the other day, and um, I like to go through the Psalms. I I just kind of go through them one at a time. Uh, Each time I get in the Word, I try to read something from somewhere else, and I try to read uh, a psalm, and I'll just start at one, and then the next day read two, and then once I get to 150, I'll start over, go back to one. Uh, And so the other day, I was reading uh, in the Psalms. Terry, can you give me a, a timer up there just to make sure I don't preach for 50 minutes? Although I know everybody would appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I was, I was in the Psalms, and I, I was in uh, Psalm 23. Uh, if you don't know, Psalm 23 is probably the most, uh, arguably, uh, the most beautiful passage in Scripture, uh, one of the most famous passages in Scripture, um, and it is for sure the most famous of all the Psalms. And I was reading there that day, and uh, as I was going through it, uh, let, me, let me just go ahead and read it to you. It's not very, it's not very uh, long. It's uh, short and super sweet. So this is uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me All the days of my life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as I was reading through this psalm, um, at the end of it, I I was just kind of, I was really struck by, you know, you know, we've all heard this, many of us have heard the psalm and read this psalm many times, uh, and I don't know, it was just kind of like hitting different this time, and especially when I was thinking about, you know, there's a lot of beautiful parts about this psalm. Uh, one of the things that God says, or that one of the things that David says in here, there's a lot of beautiful imagery of uh, how God is my shepherd, and you know He makes me lie down uh, in green pastures, and He leads me by quiet waters, and there's this beautiful, sweet imagery. But I think I, what struck me is that I realized that I forgot about the parts that are not so sweet in this passage. For example, He says He talks about He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he talks about how he's surrounded by his enemies. 
But the crazy thing is, is despite the fact that he is walking through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, and he's surrounded by his enemies, what he's saying is, he said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And he says, he, he talks about being in the presence of his enemies. What is he doing in the presence of his enemies? He said, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And what he means by that is, yeah, my enemies are all around me. Trouble is all around me. I feel like I'm being overwhelmed. But even in the midst of that situation, God is preparing a table before me. He says, hey, come, eat with me. Be with me. When we eat, it's always in some kind of safe place. Nobody uh, tries to eat a burrito while they're skydiving or uh, is... You know, whenever you watch those cool war movies with the Navy SEALs and stuff, they're not munching on a granola bar while they're, uh, you know, taking down this terrorist place, people, whatever. Um, People don't typically eat in places of danger, places where they're anxious or uncomfortable. And so God is preparing this table for David um, in the midst of this scary place. And David, and the point is just to say all this, is that David has this great faith that allows him to just overcome and be confident and not be afraid in the midst of uh, even the worst of his circumstances. And so I was sitting there, I'm like, man, David has the most amazing faith. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is how all Christians are supposed to be. This is how we're all supposed to handle things whenever our circumstances are less than ideal. This is how we're all supposed to handle things whenever uh, scary things are happening to us. We're supposed to be not afraid because we know that God is with us. And then that's when God spoke to me. I feel like he just kind of whispered into my heart, and he said, yeah, but David also wrote Psalm 22. Psalm 22 starts like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish. And there went my theory. Apparently David's faith was not always unshakable. Right here, I don't even know if he sounds like a Christian. But the thing was is that uh, as I dove into Psalm 22 um, over this past week, uh, the Lord just, I really felt like the Lord was, was showing me a lot of really good stuff um, in there. And so what I want to do uh, over the next uh, few minutes, the time that we have left, is to go through Psalm 22 and uh, try to find the treasure that's in just this raw, uh, gritty uh, part of the Bible. Heavenly Father, I pray just uh, right now before going any further, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. God, I pray that you would uh, give me your words to speak, but I also pray that you give me your heart. Father, I pray that you would let me feel what you feel during the next few minutes. pray that you bring revelation, Father, whatever it is that you want me to say, anything you want to add. I pray that you just keep my heart and my mind open to what you want to do. And more than anything, Father, I pray that you would be with all of us who are going to be listening to this on Sunday morning, that you would just prepare hearts and that you would speak and soften hearts to receive what you have to say today, Jesus. And I pray that this message today would change 
our relationship with you for the better, and that we would fall more in love with you because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so I will just go ahead and say before I go any further that, um, you know, I, uh, this sermon is not super polished. I don't have uh, a bunch of uh, stories and illustrations uh, and jokes and all that stuff. Um, you know, there was a time uh, a little while ago where uh, some, I don't know who this person was, but this person uh, apparently had gone to somebody else, um, uh, somebody who... Um, was at the church, and they said they they told them to give me a message, and uh, the message was uh, stop trying to be or stop being funny uh, when you preach. Uh, and I didn't really know how to take this. Uh, I didn't know if they were trying to say, you know, uh, you're being funny when you preach, uh, please stop, or uh, if they were saying, hey, you're trying to be funny when you preach, please stop, uh, or if it was like, oh, stop, you're killing me, uh, stop being so funny. Um, and so I never really figured out what they meant by that, uh, but uh, that person, if you're uh, listening, hopefully today you'll be pleased because I don't have any jokes planned uh, for this sermon today. So let's go ahead and get into Psalm 22. Starting with the first two verses of Psalm 22, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. The first thing I want to take um, out of this sermon, and really one of the, the, the major things that the Lord put on my heart for this message, uh, is this, is that, Sometimes it is okay to be mad at God. Sometimes it's okay to be mad at God. You see, the person who wrote these words, uh, it wasn't Saul. It wasn't Samson or Jonah or Judas. The person who wrote these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was David, the man after God's own heart. See, David was the guy who, who loved God. He was the guy who worshipped God. He was um, the guy who danced before God. He was the guy who fought for God. He was the guy who wrote so much of God's word. But he turns around and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If David, the man after God's own heart, can have a day where he finds himself in a place where he needs to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think we may also find ourselves there at some point too. You see, David wasn't the only guy. He wasn't the only man in the Bible uh, who used these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, it wasn't just the man after God's own heart. It was the God-man himself who used these words next in Scripture. Yeah, we see Jesus from the cross cry out as he's bleeding and battered and mocked, hanging on the cross, dying. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I think many of you probably know this already, but uh, Jesus 
wasn't just crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, as if it was the, just something that came to his mind and he'd never heard it before. Jesus knew that this was coming from Psalm 22. He knew that David was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in this passage? And we know that Jesus was doing that in order to point people to that psalm and go back and read it and see that it actually describes it's describing what's happening to Jesus. It talks about people mocking him, and it talks about people shaking their head and saying, he trusts in the Lord, let the Lord deliver him. And it talks about, in another place, how they're casting lots for his clothes. It's exactly what's happening to Jesus on the cross, and so people are supposed to look at this psalm and see that this is what's happening to Jesus and see that this is, this, what's happening to Jesus is part of God's plan. This isn't a surprise to him. And so the, in it, they're supposed to see that this is God's plan and that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, yeah, that's part of the reason why Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I don't think that Jesus was just using this as a genius way to get people to see that he was the Messiah. I think that Jesus was saying this because he did feel it. He could sympathize with the words that David said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he felt forsaken by God. God was not going to pull him off of the cross. God was not going to come to his rescue in that moment. And so Jesus sitting there on the cross, he felt abandoned. He felt forsaken. And so I guess the point that I'm trying to say is that if David, the man after God's own heart, and Jesus, the God-man, were able to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It might be okay for us in times of pain or in times of trial or in times that we don't understand what's going on. It might be acceptable. There might be enough grace from God for us to say, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's one of the really cool things um, that I like about this psalm, uh, is if you go down a little bit further, uh, I'm not going to go back and read all of this again, but if you read through uh, most of the rest of this psalm, you see what's kind of going on between God and, and David in this psalm. He goes through, uh, the first thing he says after um, he finishes verse 2, he says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But right after that, he says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And you see, as you go through, uh, you know, he's, David's going to start doing this thing where um, he is... Um, He'll be in one moment saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the next moment, he'll be like, but you are the Savior of Israel. Whenever they cried out to you, whenever my kin of old cried out to you, you delivered them and you saved them. And so you see like this statement of trust going on inside of David uh, that he's putting here in the psalm. Uh, but then right after that, he goes back over here again and he says, but I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. And then right after that, he goes, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust at you, trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, 
I was cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. It's almost like we're seeing this roller coaster of emotion going on with David. He says, my God, you've forsaken me. And he goes, but you are Israel's savior. I know you to be a savior. He goes, but I'm a worm and not a man. And look at all this bad stuff going on around me. All of my enemies mock me. Yet, I trust in you. You are my God. You have been my God ever since my mother's womb. And this is kind of the difficult thing about being part of the people of God. You see, people without a God like ours, people without the knowledge of a good God, uh, think bad things happen and it's only complaint. Bad things happen and we say, look at all my enemies around me who mock me and they beat me and they pursue me. And we look at all the other bad things going on and that is what consumes us and we just say, it's bad. It's all bad. But whenever you have a good God and you know from experience and you know from the word and you know in your heart that God is good, it's kind of like this roller coaster of, you know, my situation is bad. This really stinks. I don't really know what's going to happen. But then you also have this, but I trust God, but I know that he's good, but I know that in the past he's delivered me. I know in the past he's delivered my people. It's kind of this roller coaster of emotions. And we don't really, and we, it makes it difficult and strange to go through things. And in one sense, we kind of believe that God's going to help, but in the other, things are so bad around us that we don't really see how it could possibly happen. And that's what David is going through here. You know, one of my favorite parts about this is that, um, you know, Psalms, they have, people like to classify the Psalms, people who study the Bible, and it's pretty helpful to think about it in this way, I think. Uh, People classify the Psalms by... um, what kind of type they are. So you got like your, uh, your psalms of praise, psalms that are mostly uh, praising God. You have your psalms of thanksgiving where it's uh, giving thanks to God. You have your psalms of lament where things are going really bad and the person is expressing how bad things are. Other times you got psalms of trust where, yeah, things are bad, but uh, the psalmist is talking about how much they trust God. And other times you get messianic psalms where uh, they point to some future Messiah. And what's crazy is that this one kind of seems to fit in all the categories. Uh, it points to the Messiah. Uh, there's, some, there's praise at the end, if you were listening, as Luke read, and we're going to get there eventually. Uh, and there's thanksgiving. But there's also a lot of lament and crying out to God and talking about how bad things are. And so it's kind of hard to classify which, where this psalm falls in. It's kind of a mixture of everything. It's like David doesn't really even know, um, you know exactly what to feel. But the more that I've read this psalm and the more that I've gone through it, I've become convinced, I think, of this. Is that this is a conversation with the Lord more than anything. You see, David is coming to God and he's saying, God, this is my situation. This is where I'm at, God. And sometimes it's not very pretty. Sometimes in his description and sometimes in this conversation with God, David even accuses God. He said, you have forsaken me. You are far from me. And you can sense the anger in his voice. But but what is my favorite part about it 
is that I think that that's actually the key to how David becomes the guy who wrote Psalm 23. And what I mean by that is this, is that a lot of times with our pain and our suffering, we allow our confusion and we allow our anger to take us away from God instead of allowing our pain and our anger and our confusion to lead us to God. You see, I think the whole reason that David is a man after God's own heart is because instead of saying, God has forsaken me, and turning his back, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, David takes his problems with God to God. He's confused and he's hurt and he's even angry at God, but he doesn't turn away from God because of these things. He comes and he brings it to God. See, um, there is this pandemic going on right now. And it affects thousands of people uh, across uh, the country and across, maybe I think even across the globe. Um, And it is what I like to call church face. See, uh, it mainly, uh, uh, the symptoms manifest on Sunday mornings uh, inside of uh, Christian churches, and uh, the symptoms, what it looks like is you are uh, sad before you come in the doors, and your wife has left you, and you've lost your job, and you're clinically depressed, and your foot hurts, but you walk into the church, and somebody asks, how are you doing? And you say, I'm great. I'm doing really good. Thanks for asking. And then we leave home. Or then we leave to go home. And we go back and live in through the reality of our depression and our wife left us and our joblessness and all that stuff. You see, the, prob- the, the thing with church face is if you're really good at it, like most of us are, you can hide it from people and they may or may not know that you're faking it. But the thing with God is that he knows you're faking it. And that there's no point of trying to do church face with God. There's no point in trying to pretend that everything's okay with God. We have to be real with him whenever things are not, whenever we face disappointment, whenever we're in pain, whenever we're confused. We can't be uh, totally lost and in confusion and in pain and come to God and say, oh God, thank you so much for all the blessings. You've been very good and I trust you. Thank you so much. Amen. And then go out and try to figure out our life. Yes, we are supposed to be give thanks in all things, and even when things are hard, I do believe that you're supposed to be thankful and count your blessings, and I think there's a healing aspect of that. But there comes a point where there's so much confusion and there's so much pain, and the rug gets proverbially pulled out from under us in our life, and we just need to come to God and say, what are you doing, God? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Because whenever we've reached that point in our life, the only one who can bring us the healing that we need is him. It's Jesus. So we have to come and be honest with God. And here is why. You see, David, he just kind of keeps going on back and forth between this pattern of of 
you know, God, you have saved me, or, you know, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But yet you're the Savior of Israel, yet I'm a worm and not a man, yet you've been my God from the womb. And he keeps going back and forth with this. And nothing seems to really be getting better. He's just confused and hurting. But then all of a sudden, there is this switch. It's like somebody flipped a switch, and there is just a total paradigm shift that goes on in this psalm. It says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. It says, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Rescue me from the horns of the wild oxen. But then, something changes. Verse 22, he says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Reveal him. Revere him. All you descendants of Israel, All of a sudden, David turns from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. What could have possibly accounted for this kind of shift from anger and pain and confusion to outright confidence and praise, trust in the Lord? I'll tell you this, nothing changed. Nothing circumstantially changed. We don't see anywhere here in the passage where David said, Oh, Lord, you took care of my enemies who were mocking me and who were surrounding me. Oh, Lord, you healed me in my bones and you healed me from, uh, from uh, my sickness. He doesn't say that. We don't see anywhere here where God has come and fixed the situation. And, you know, because of this reason... Uh, This shift is so crazy to some people that some scholars look at this passage and they say, yeah, uh, we think that, uh, you know, somebody wrote the first part of this psalm, all the really sad and confused parts, uh, and then uh, at this point, some editor came in at the end and added uh, a happy ending to this psalm uh, years later. I personally do not believe that. Here is what I believe. I believe that God came. I believe that God came. You see, here here is the crazy thing, is that David, throughout this whole entire psalm, he says, you know, he's talking about all of his bad circumstances, and he's talking about all of the the pain and all the, the stuff that is going on in his life around him. And yes, at some point, he says, deliver me from the sword, deliver my life from the power of the dogs, rescue me from the mouth of the lions. But you know what comes up more than anything? At the beginning, he accuses God, and one of his accusations is, why are you so far from me? And in the next prayer, he says, do not be far from me. And again, in the last little prayer in this section, he says, but you, Lord, be not far from me. You see, the thing that David is the most concerned with is not his enemies that surround him, not that his body is failing him. He is most concerned with 
God, I need you here. I need you to come. And you know what happens? You know why there's such a paradigm shift in this passage? You know why David's attitude goes from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, to I will declare your name to my people? It's because God came. And when God comes, he changes everything. And yes, God changes circumstances. He does. God heals people. And God provides whenever we are in lack. And God, uh, he comes and he does these things that change our lives. But more than that, more importantly, most of the time before God will heal, before God will calm the storm around you, he wants to calm the storm inside of you. This is what Paul talks about when he says, when he describes this thing that Christians have as this peace that transcends understanding. What he means by that is, not everything's great around me, but it's great within me. It is well with my soul because God is with me, because God is here, and I know he's here. You see, I know this uh, from experience, and, and I think that many of us know this from experience as well. What we're talking about is when God, you know, God, we believe that he's omnipresent. We believe that he's omnipresent. We believe that he's always, everywhere, at all times. There's never a place where God is not. And we also believe that as the people of God, Jesus said, uh, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And so we believe that not only is God always everywhere in space, we believe that he's always with us and he's always for us. But beyond that, a lot of times what we need is more than that. What we need is for God to come and show up and show that he is here with us so that we don't just say, I believe that God is, is here and I believe you know, he's everywhere and I believe he's with me. But instead say, I know that God is with me. God has shown up. God has let me encounter him. God has come and he has reminded me that he is very close. And like I was saying, I, I, I've had this experience before. Uh, I was at uh, a camp one time, and this was back when I was in college, and uh, I had just met a few guys, and they were, they were cool guys. They had only been Christians for like six months or so. And uh, basically what ended up happening throughout the week is that some really cool things happened. God showed up in the lives of these guys, and God was using them in these really big ways, in ways that I wanted to see God use me. But he hadn't up to this point, and I was really annoyed because I had been following Jesus for, you know, at that point, you know, a few years, like five or six years, and I had never seen God use me in the way that he's, he was using these guys who had only been following him for six months, and so it really bothered me. I really felt like something was wrong with me. I felt like I was uh, something less uh, of a Christian than these guys were, and, and I was angry at God. I said, God, why are you doing these things for these guys who have known you for six months whenever I've known you and followed you for years? And I've never seen you do that kind of thing in me. And I remember I was sitting <laughs> in a forklift, uh, and I was sitting here having this conversation, hashing it out with the Lord, much like what we're talking about here. Um, and I was just sitting there, and I was angry, and it was even raining around me. So it was just like a really pitiful scene. There was a moment in there while I was talking with God, while I was expressing my anger and my confusion, 
that something just switched inside of me, and this has only happened to me uh, a couple times in my life, but nothing changed. Situation didn't change. God didn't uh, say, okay, get up. I'm going to go do uh, I'm going to go do some great things with you like you're asking. That didn't happen. All that happened was I was sitting there in that forklift with the rain coming down all around me and in my confusion and my pain, all I heard was the Lord whispering to my soul, I love you. It wasn't some audible voice, but I heard it very clearly in my heart. And right after that, uh, it was still raining and the Lord still did not use me in that way. And But something changed. The Lord came. The Lord showed up. The Lord spoke to me. He showed me that he was near. And he reminded me of his goodness. And after that, it didn't matter anymore. I stopped my pity party on the forklift and I got up and I went and I did. Uh, I, went, I went and got back to business. And I will say that eventually later, the Lord did start using me in that way. He did start uh, doing those things that he was doing for those other guys in me. And so he did end up coming. He did up coming did end up coming and changing the circumstances. But first, before he did that, he and his kindness, as I was hashing out all of my accusations and my pain and my anger, he came. He showed up. He reminded me that he was with me. He reminded me that he was for me. You see, and this is how all of this relates to Advent is that in Advent, we are coming together to celebrate, not really really even celebrate, but to recognize that before, when the world was lost in sin, and it was lost in all of its evil, in need of a Savior, God came in the form of a child, a Messiah as a child in a manger. And we also look forward to see that God will come. He's going to come and he's going to make everything right. And he's going to bring a kingdom where there is no more crying and there is no more pain and there is no more sadness and there is no more confusion or death. But not only that, we're not only looking back at his first coming and we're not only looking looking forward to his second coming, we're also looking to him right now and saying, Lord, come. We need you. In expectation that God, even today, comes to us comes to us in our pain, comes to us in our brokenness, comes to us in our confusion, and he says, I'm here. And he comes and he can do this paradigm shift inside of us like he did for David, where nothing's fixed, nothing's all better yet, but we all of a sudden can turn into praise and turn into thanksgiving and can turn back into trust and have our hearts at peace again because God came. I want to read just something that Luke gave me from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, pastor back in the 20th century. Um, This is what he says in one of his Advent uh, devotionals. He says, Look up, you whose gaze is fixed on this earth, who are spellbound by the little events and changes on the face of the earth. Look up to these words you have turned away from heaven disappointed. Look up, you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that the earth has gracelessly gracelessly torn us away. Look up, you who burdened with guilt cannot lift your eyes. Look up, your redemption is drawing near. Something different from what you see daily will happen. Just be aware. 
Be watchful. Wait just another short moment. Wait, and something quite new will break over you. God will come. So, if you're hearing anything uh, today, th- these are this is really just what I-, I wanted to hopefully get across today, is that, one, it is okay to get to points in our lives where we are mad at God. It's okay to get to that point, and <laughs> for lack of a better term, I don't try to mean to belittle God in any way by saying this, but God, God is a big boy. God can handle your questions. God can handle your anger. You're not going to offend him and cause him to leave if you are coming to him with your real confusion, your real pain, your real anger. The Lord is big enough to take those things and bear them in himself and to come to you and bring you healing so that all of us, like David, can come out and can say, God has not despised or scorned the suffering of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So we can all come together and we can all say, Surely, God, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My plea today to you is just to come to the Lord with whatever it is that you have. Come to the Lord however you are, trusting that he too will come.